What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Can Arsenal put an end to their miserable run up at Goodison Park? We're going to be previewing Sunday's fixture right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast brought to you by the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and it's a preview show. We are back to look ahead to a Premier League game. It feels like an age since I said that. Um, I know it's only been the one international break, but my God, uh, it drags, doesn't it? It drags because international breaks these days have just become so dire and dull and mundane and just the level of football just doesn't stack up to Premier League football. It's not anywhere near it. And I think as time goes on, the more Premier League football we watch, the more Champions League football we watch, the more of these dead rubber qualification games we're subjected to, the more pointless friendlies we're subjected to, the more and more I feel people are turning off from international football. Listen, the tournaments are amazing. You know, whether it be a World Cup, a European Championship, a Copa America, I love all of that. But when it comes to the qualification games and the friendlies and all the rest of it, I find it really, really difficult uh, to keep myself motivated and, and to be honest, interested. Um, anyway, back to the real stuff, uh, as Wondering Minstrel says uh, in the chat. Listen, I've just got home from TalkSport, um, where I've done the TalkSport 2 show, The Social, um, hosting that on Fridays now. was alongside former Newcastle, Crystal Palace, Charlton Athletic and Ipswich Town midfielder Darren Ambrose today. Um, Darren Ambrose is a Tottenham fan as well, which made it quite interesting, actually. Um, I, I, I think I knew that. Maybe I forgot it in the build up to this show, but then I was very quickly reminded as soon as uh, I sat down with Darren that he is of that persuasion, um, which made an interesting show. But I am quite tired, um, so I'm not going to sit here and promise you uh, the greatest podcast ever. Um, I, I've got what I want to say in my mind and we're going to do this, but it's probably only going to be about half an hour long just because I am all talked out. It has been one hell of a week. Uh, welcome to World Class Series on the 90 Min channel every day at the preview show today. Um, talk sport, lots of other bits and pieces going on as well. I'm at a game tomorrow. I'm down at Loftus Road for Queen's Park Rangers versus Sunderland in the EFL Championship. And then, of course, on Sunday, all attention turns to the mighty gunners who go up to Goodison Park but yeah, let's um let's get into this. I guess the point I was trying to make there is that this is not going to be one of those episodes where we go off on too many tangents. Um, let's focus on the game. Let's do a good job of that. And um, you never know, I'll get a, a bit of uh, energy, a second wave maybe, uh, as we uh, as we get into this. But look, let's start off by providing a little bit of context around this fixture for Arsenal. Um, you feel like. The last outing against Manchester United at Emirates Stadium was a bit of a liftoff point for Mikel Arteta's side. They'd picked up a pretty decent points return up until that. Seven from a possible nine 
just that draw at home to Fulham uh, denying us of a perfect 100% record. And the truth is we should have won that game. A lot of people after that match were questioning Mikel Arteta's decision-making. They were questioning um, his team selection and, and all the rest of it and wondering if he just started to overcomplicate things to the point where it was impacting on our performances. The truth is when I when I went and watched that game back again in full and really sort of broke it down, you can't blame it on the manager. You can't blame it on any decision that he took. It was clearly um, something that was due to individual errors, um, individual mistakes, um, you know, not being good enough in the big moments, not being good enough when it mattered, i.e., um, you know, Bakayo Saka's mistake inside a minute. You know, you put your team immediately on the back foot. Then they have to exert all sorts of energy and effort to turn the game around. Once they do turn the game around, then, you know, you, you expect them to see it out, but they don't because of, again, individual errors that cost them. And listen, Fulham, you know, they, they were decent value for the point in the end, I guess, because of the fact that they led for so long and they made it so difficult. They went down to 10 men, all the rest of it. But the truth is that, you know, we should have won that game. And if we did win that game, we'd be talking about Arsenal in the same conversation as Manchester City with regards to, well, they haven't really got going yet, but they've picked up maximum points. The Manchester United game, as I say, felt like a liftoff point for us last weekend because, um, because what that did was, I guess, give us a victory at a point where we looked like we were going to end up having one of those mass inquiries after about what had gone wrong. Because, you know, it wasn't the greatest performance against United. I think we just about did enough to win the game. And in the end, we did, thanks to some big moments. But I think the narrative following the fact that we won that game was very different to the narrative we would have had, A, had we drawn it, and B, had Manchester United nicked it, which they came incredibly close to doing when Alejandro Garnacho was ruled offside by the VAR. So a bit of a liftoff point, I think so. Um, and uh, and look, now it's important that we build on that momentum and we move forward. Everton are in dire straits. You know, they've had a really, really poor start to the season. They've been poor for a long, long time, Everton. Now they sit in 18th place going into uh, this fixture. They've lost three of their opening four, just the one draw, no victories on the board just yet. But Arsenal are a side that in recent years have gone to Goodison Park and struggled. We haven't won there for six years. So there'll be plenty of belief within the Everton camp that they can turn this around, um, that they can use us as a bit of a catalyst, just like we used Manchester United last time out to spark their season into life. Big news coming out of Goodison Park today, which is that Farhad Mashiri has sold his controlling stake of the company. Now, this takeover is, of course, subject to all the regulatory stuff and, and, and to that process being completed and everything being OK. Um, but the club is being taken over by the 777 group. Now, I feel sorry for Everton fans because for a little while now, they've been asking for change. They've been protesting. They've been making their voices heard. They've been making their feelings known. And yes, they got what they want on the one hand in that the club is going to change hands by the looks of it. But the ownership that is coming in it has a very, very questionable record. Not only are they being investigated um, for claims of fraud, 
but they've also got quite a bad track record with regards to the other football clubs that they have on their portfolio. Vasco da Gama, legendary Brazilian club, got relegated under their watch. Sevilla have been poor under their watch. Hertha Berlin, another one. Genoa, another one. So many clubs that are on their portfolio have struggled on the pitch. And that won't excite Everton fans. So on the one hand, you're like, great. You know, we get to move on from this current ownership and we should hopefully be in better shape. But by that same token, you know, sometimes it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. And whatever you say about Fahad Mashiri's time at Everton, he did spend money, he did invest money. It was spent badly and questions should be asked with regards to that. But, you know, uh, are this lot going to be any better? And I feel sorry for Everton fans. It's not like when Newcastle got rid of Mike Ashley. When Newcastle fans learned that Mike Ashley was leaving, there was a big outpour of, of celebration because he'd run that club down into the ground and they were well within their rights to be happy about that. But they lucked out when they were realised that they were being taken over or, or, or that the prospective owners were who they are because, you know, they knew that they would come in and they would invest and they would do the right things from a sporting perspective. Why? Because they're not in it to turn a profit. Now, that's why that takeover was celebrated in such a big way. And I know Newcastle fans got a lot of criticism for that because of who was taking them over. But they were celebrating not just getting rid of Mike Ashley, but also getting somebody in that they feel will help the club on the sporting side. For Everton, they can only do half of that. They can only celebrate the fact that the ownership that they know has not done a great job of late is moving on. But they will be apprehensive, worried and concerned about who is coming in and who is taking over. So I don't really know what type of atmosphere to expect on Sunday. Because had it not been the 777 group, I would say, well, Goodison Park is going to be absolutely rocking and it's going to make our lives very, very difficult. You'd imagine that there will be some sort of lift in the atmosphere created by A, the fact that the Mashiri regime is coming to an end, B, the fact that they've got a good record against Arsenal, um, and see the fact that they'll look at Arsenal and think, well, this is a big scalp. And if we can pick up three points against a side of this calibre, a side of this quality, a side that pushed Manchester United very, Manchester United, Manchester City, I beg your pardon, very, very close last season, then that could be our catalyst for this season. I think I'm leaning towards the side of thinking that the atmosphere will be helped by the fact that the takeover is happening and perhaps that realisation of who's taking them over might not settle in until later down the line. But either way, we're going to have to deal with not just the 11 men on the pitch, but the 12th man as well, because Goodison Park, as we all know, once it gets going, is a very, very difficult place to play your football. It's a very, very intimidating place to play your football. So, um, yeah, uh, it's going to be really, really interesting, isn't it? It really, really is. Um, we're going to get into the lineup a, a little bit later on. We're going to discuss how I think Mikel Arteta uh, should set up the team. Uh, we're also going to be discussing some of Mikel Arteta's comments from his press conference earlier today. There's lots and lots to get into. Um, we'll also take some of your thoughts from the live chat as well with regards to predictions and all the rest of it. We're going to take a really, really short pause. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a moment. We'll start off with Mikel Arteta's press conference. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90-min football family. Uh, as ever, uh, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and we're doing this right now 
live on YouTube. Everton versus Arsenal coming up this Sunday, a big game for both sides. Arsenal looking to build on that momentum they created beating Manchester United in dramatic fashion in their last outing, whilst Everton go in search of their first win of the season. Off the back of that news that Fahad Mashiri has agreed to sell his controlling stake of the club. What does that do to the atmosphere? Well, we've already touched on that. Mikel Arteta faced the media today, and that's why this podcast is coming to you a little bit late because he didn't sit down with the media until 1.30 p.m.-ish uh, this afternoon. Um, he was asked about the Bukayo Saka uh, rumours, and, and he said, look, Bukayo's fine. He trained like normal today. Um, and he said that it's perfectly normal for players to have issues and problems and to be carrying those around. Um, he said there's nothing to report. So I'm assuming he's telling the truth, um, but it doesn't sound like there's anything to worry about, which is kind of what we suspected when we spoke about it on here just the other day. He was also asked about Martin Odegaard's um, contract situation, to which he replied that he's optimistic. Uh, he spoke of the good relationship that Arsenal have with not just Odegaard himself, but his agent as well, um, which obviously um, gives you confidence, doesn't it, that maybe, just maybe, uh, this is actually close and, and what great news uh, that would be. He was asked all sorts of questions about, um, you know, pressure. Is he under more pressure than ever because of the fact that he's got his group of players now? He was asked a few questions about Nicola Pepe, which I found a bit strange. I, you know, is that what you want to talk about in this press conference? We all know that it didn't work. We all know that his contract was torn up because, quite frankly, nobody wanted to sign him and it was best for everybody. But obviously, those questions were put to him. There was a question from Talk Sports, uh, Ian Abrahams, aka the Moose. He asked about how Arteta's side will adapt to playing every sort of three days. And is that going to be a problem? Uh, Mikel said, we did play every three days last season as well, only it was in the Europa League instead of the Champions League, which was a, a great point. Listen, this squad, you know, yeah, we're not going to maybe be able to rotate the way we did in the Europa League. But this notion of Arsenal have never played three games within the space of a week or never had to contend with you know, that kind of schedule is is a nonsense. I think most clubs in the Premier League at some point or another have been through periods like this because there's just simply too much football at the moment. That's the honest truth of it. The cup competitions, we're one of the only nations that still has two cup competitions. All of that stuff conditions players, I think, for this. And, and with squads being bigger and better nowadays, you know, you, I don't know if you can keep dwelling on that all the time and keep making an issue of it. Managers will do it. But they use that as a bit of a deflection tactic and they use it as a bit of an excuse sometimes. The truth is that that's the reality of the game. Everybody knows it. Everybody builds squads accordingly in order to handle and cope with that. And so I just think we've got to stop using it um, as an excuse. Um, those were the kind of key points, I thought, from Mikel Arteta's press conference. Uh, forgive me if I've missed anything key, but um, I'm just scrolling through it now. Um uh, he did talk about Thomas Partey just briefly. He did say that he's a few weeks away still, said that he has a muscle injury, but it's progressing, although, uh, you know, he's expecting it to be a, a few weeks away. There were a few questions around Everton as well, uh, a club that, of course, he holds very close to his heart. He was asked about Vinay Venkateshim, who's stepping away from his role as CEO of the club next summer. Mikel said, look, he's been here 14 years, and I think he has a right to make that call. He thinks that it's the best thing for him, for his future, for his family. Um, and he said, from my side, I had a great working relationship with him. He's a person, first of all, that I value, who's been integral in what we've done. And I want to wish him the best. But I think he still has a lot of things to do in the meantime. 
until the end of the season. Um, uh, there was a question from Kaya Kainak, I think, of Football.London, who asked about the leadership group and, and Mikel. He said, look, it's, it's not a decision that we've made formally or publicly. You know, we've many leaders in the squad and he, he didn't really um, want to elaborate on that further. He was then asked on who would be the two or three behind Martin Odegaard, the captain in that leadership group. And he said, you will see when we play. So uh, look out for who takes on the armband in the absence of Martin Odegaard. And there you'll be able to form your leadership group. Um, in terms of statistics going into this one, let's have a quick look at the Premier League's website um, as we uh, continue our build-up to this game at Goodison Park on Sunday. Uh, let's start from the very beginning. Head-to-head -head in the Premier League, Everton have beaten us just 12 times. Uh, there's been 14 draws between the two clubs and the Gunners have come out on top 38 times uh, against the Toffees. Pretty good record, that. Um, if you look at the recent meetings in, in the last five, we've had no problems whatsoever. Uh, dealing with Everton. Uh, on Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill home turf in the league it's Arsenal 4 Everton nil back on March the 1st 2023 um, if you go back to the 22nd of May which was the back end of the season prior we beat them 5-1 if you remember I think that was the last day of the season wasn't it um, we did play them as well in um, a game in Baltimore in July 2022 we won that game by two goals to nil but it's at Goodison Park where we've had problems uh, last season we lost 1-0 on Saturday 4th of February in the season before if you remember, we were beaten on that Monday night football uh, by two goals to one. Not one there in six seasons. I think Everton have won four of the last five as well uh, at Goodison Park. So this is a fixture that they will relish. And that's why I believe this is a fixture that they'll be looking at and viewing as a bit of a potential liftoff point for themselves. So we've got to be wary. We've got to be at our best. Look, what have I done here? What have I done here? I've somehow clicked out of what I wanted to click into. Hold on. Fixtures. Oh, you can you can tell I've had one of those days, can't you? Um, league table, is that what I'm looking for? Anyway, I don't know what I'm looking for anymore. Forget it. Um, you, you get the impression that because of that recent history, Sean Dyche's team talk is written for him. You know, he will be able to utilise that. He'll be able to use that and and put that message across to help the players believe that they can do a job on Arsenal. Listen, at the end of the day, if both teams play to the best of their abilities, there's only one winner. But this is the type of fixture that you can't afford to be off off it, not even slightly. 
because it's the Premier League and you will be punished. And a couple of moments in the game go against you. The crowd goes against you. All of a sudden, it becomes a really, really difficult place to play your football. And I've always said that at Goodison Park, no matter how difficult they are finding it at any given time, it's a really, really tough place to go. Um, I guess the big debate and question is around the lineup. What do we think Mikel Arteta will do? How should he line up in our personal opinion as well? And that's obviously going to be different across the board. But this is the lineup that I think he will and probably should go with, if I'm being honest with you. Now, there's been a couple of debates ongoing in my mind over the past few days, which I'll bring you guys in on as well. So Aaron Ramsdale, for me, continues in goal. Um, he hasn't put a foot wrong, I don't think. I think he's been pretty good for us at the start of this season. And where I wondered how David Raya's arrival would impact him, I actually think it's had a positive effect in that, you know, he seems to have upped his game. The back four should stay as it is. White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko for me. That's the back four that, of course, played against Manchester United. Beto plays up front for Everton now. There's talk that Dominic Calvert-Lewin could be back in contention as well for the Toffees, which means that we're going to need to be physical. Sean Dyche's game um, involves going that little bit more direct. There's no way that Everton are going to try and play out from the back against our high press. They are going to try and go di uh, direct. They are going to try and go route one to a point. They'll want to stick uh, their big forward uh, up alongside our centre-halves and they'll, they'll want to make it difficult. And Look, where Mikel Arteta had been sort of shuffling the pack slightly, he was leaving Gabriel out. And if you're talking about a physical battle, I don't think you can leave Gabriel out. He's the one of our back line. I'm not saying that White can't handle it or that Saliba can't handle it, but Gabriel is the one that you look at and you think he relishes that type of battle. He relishes that type of fight. So that's my back four. Zinchenko at left, um, but it will be required to go into midfield as he always does. And Arsenal, I'm sure, will dominate possession, uh, allowing him to do that frequently. Gabriel Saliba and White make up the rest of that back line. No Thomas Partey, of course. Otherwise, he'd have been in my midfield alongside Declan Rice with Martin Odegaard just in front of them. But in his absence, I think Mikel Arteta is going to continue with Kai Havertz. I've heard people say that Fabio Vieira deserves a chance. I've heard people say that Emil Smith-Rowe should play there. Um, I've heard people say that Leandro Trossard should come in. And I think, look, the truth is Mikel's got options, and that's obviously a good thing and a positive thing. But I'll be shocked if he, lo uh, if he leaves out Kai Havertz. I'll be shocked if he drops him. He'll also look at Kai Havertz's size and physicality. I know he comes across as a little bit languid and a little bit slow at times, but he does put himself about when he needs to. I think he will look at that and say, no, Kai Havertz, A, I'm going to persist with you because I still believe that you can fit into this team and that you've got um, the ability to prove the doubters and those asking questions of your uh, inclusions recently. You've got what it takes to prove them wrong. I think there'll be an element of the, the physical side of it that makes Arteta go look at the size of him. I'd rather have him in the midfield than Fabio Vieira, for example. But he'll also... Um, I think be digging his heels in a little bit on this because me personally, I probably would seriously consider taking him out of the side. It's just not really working at this moment in time. And I think it can work and it probably will work in the long term. It hasn't affected our results yet, um, but it, it could get to that point. And rather than expose Kai Havertz to that, 
because the the wrath that he will incur from a lot of fans that were on the fence about his signing in the first place, should his performances start to directly impact on our results, um, is one that you know you'd rather shield him from and protect him from. But yeah, I, I don't think we're at that point just yet. So I understand why Mikel probably will include him. I'll be surprised if he leaves him out. Let me know your thoughts on the Kai Havertz debate. I just about leave him in um, just because I think that away at Goodison Park, you probably require something a little bit different. Up top, um, Saka Martinelli uh, nailed on starters for me. Uh, I thought Martinelli was much better against Manchester United um, than he had been in the, the weeks prior. And then I'm going to stick with Nketiah up front from the start. I'm still concerned about Jesus' fitness. He only came on for a few minutes against Manchester United. Yeah, he had a massive impact, a great impact. And I don't know how much work he's done over the international break and if that was a period in which he's been allowed to catch up fitness-wise. But um, I would start the game, I think, with Eddie Nketiah because he deserves it. He's played pretty well and um, and I've got no real reason to, A, want to take him out, but B, I've got enough reason to be still slightly concerned and worried about the prospect of rushing Gabriel Jesus back into the thick of things and him potentially going down injured again. Um, because remember, it was a knee problem that he was most recently out with that was linked to the knee problem that kept him out for three months last season. So I would be um, just that little bit more careful. Okay, um, let's get some of you guys' thoughts on... Um, the lineup that I've gone with. It's the lineup I've gone with, but it's also the lineup I think Mikel will play as well. Uh, Gary Griffin says, Jesus has to start in place of Havertz. He should be the only change we need to start fast and quiet that crowd early. I want to see shooting more from distance and not trying to score the perfect goal. Uh, Diagene says, we're in the Kai Havertz project instead of rewarding good performances. Listen, football's a squad game now, right? And and there'll be players that you'll look at and you'll think, well, he keeps coming off the bench and impacting games, so why isn't he starting? And I guess that's the logical way to look at it. But I also think that there are players that have impacts at certain points in games because the game state is, is such that they can because people are tired, because there are spaces, because the game's stretched, because perhaps one team's chasing a goal and another team, um, you know, is is looking to counter-attack and, and the game becomes quite transitional in certain game states. And Fabio Vieira is a good example of that. I thought he was really good against Fulham when they tired and he came off the bench in a, in a game where we needed a bit of life and a, a little bit of a spark. And I thought he was effective in the transition against a Manchester United side that you know, at that point, we're trying to find the 2-2 goal and um, and Fabio Vieira was able to pick up the ball and set off a counter-attack from which we scored our third. I don't know that when you look at a player coming off the bench having an impact, you can always guarantee that they have a, a similar or, or, or the same impact if they start a game. And I think that's something you've got to take into consideration. Look, Fabio Vieira is not not far away from from knocking on the door and asking for a start. But for me, it would be at home against someone um, it, that you'd expect to be in the bottom half of the table rather than at Goodison Park, where, as I mentioned, we haven't won in six years. Um, so th that's that's the way I look at it. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Johnny Wanderling says, should we rest Saka? If there is a weakness there, then it's only a matter of time before his Achilles ruptures. And those who have suffered this type of injury are never quite the same after. Um, I'm worried. Um Look, if if Mikel Arteta says there's nothing to worry about, then uh, 
we kind of just have to take that because we don't know any better. And this is my issue with um, with sort of the reaction when reports like this come out. Look, listen, I, I agree with you that Saka probably needs a rest and, and will need a rest at some point this season. He played 38 times in the Premier League in back-to-back seasons. He made 38 appearances in both of our last two seasons in the Premier League, which is remarkable when you think about it in this day and age. There will come a point where we need to look after him and we need to protect him. But as I, as I keep saying, we don't know the ins and outs of this. And, and I don't really understand the extent of the problem. I don't really understand if it's something that can be managed or if it's something that needs rest. You know, sometimes you can manage an issue without stopping playing football altogether. And I just I'm in a place where I guess I've just got to trust the medical staff and the information that they pass on to Mikel Arteta also as well. The other thing to consider is that Mikel Arteta might not want to show his cards. He might not want to show everybody his hand uh, when it comes to Bukayo Saka. You know, if Saka's left out of the weekend, then we know that there is an issue there. But Bukayo Saka wouldn't necessarily... Mikel Arteta might not necessarily want to put that out into the public domain at this stage. So we just got to kind of wait and see and and just take it week by week. Uh, Jean-René says, Kai starts for me as well. I don't buy the lazy narrative. We need his physicality. Um, Amira says, with Everton already planning to give us possession and being physical, um, would this game be a good one for Tommy? Would he be a better option than Zinchenko? He could continue his great form from the international break. So if I thought we were going to have our backs up against the wall, Uh, for large periods in this game, which could happen, but it's not the way I'd predict the game going, then I would agree with you. If we were talking about just purely defensive aspects, then yeah, Tomiyasu, head and shoulders above Zinchenko in that sense. But on the ball, Zinchenko is so much more. And he can be so creative from those deep areas. And I think in a game that we're going to have a lot of possession, we're going to face a low block, and Declan Rice is going to need that support in midfield, given that he's probably going to line up with Havertz and Odegaard. I think Zinchenko is the right option because he'll go in there and do that, but he'll also be able to go in there, get on the ball and make things happen. Tommy Asu, for me, when he goes into midfield, looks like a fish out of water. It isn't his game. Um, he looks as uncomfortable and as awkward as Kieran Tierney did when he was trying to do it. Um, so th- that's not the answer for me. Uh, not in a game like this. You know, we might be winning the game 1-0, get to the last 20 minutes and think, yep, you know what, throw Takahiro, Tommy Asu on and let's shut up shop. Let's see this out. And that I would agree with, but not from the start for me. I think that's a bit of a negative move, uh, if I'm being honest. Uh, just going back to um, that uh, Achilles uh, chat, uh, Cesar says Achilles snapped without much precaution. Just because his Achilles bugs him doesn't mean he's close to it snapping. It may strain, but it's not something to worry about. Um, so, yeah, we can, um, yeah, we can just hope and keep our fingers crossed. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Those are kind of the key points that I wanted to address. As I say, I think the key here is going to be imposing ourselves physically, um, imposing our football in style on them. And if we can go there and take our game to them and play well early on, we could kill the confidence of a side whose confidence is clearly already fragile. And and that's what I'm hoping to see um, Arsenal do. In turn, that silences the crowd. In turn, that quashes the extra bit of atmosphere that we might be facing because of the news around Fahad Mashiri's um, decision to to sell the club. Yeah, look, it, it's a tough old Premier League game going up to Goodison Park, regardless of their form. And when you look at our form uh, against them in recent years, there is cause for concern or, or at least cause to be 
a little bit nervous. But listen, over the last 12, 18 months, Arsenal have gone to plenty of places and, and put some of those bad records to bed. This is another one. And um, we've done it before at harder places than Goodison Park. Let's not worry about that too much. Let's not let that get into our heads. Let's go there and get uh, the result that we need. The other thing to mention is that although Everton's record at Goodison Park against Arsenal is pretty good, Sean Dyche's record against Arsenal is rubbish. Um, so, uh, yeah, take some encouragement if you need encouragement from something uh, from that. Right. My prediction for this one, uh, I'm going to go with the same prediction that I made on the 90 Min show. I was feeling bold. I was feeling brave. And as people say, um, I was talking with chest. I'm going to go for an Arsenal 3-0 victory. I think we're too good for them. I think we'll go there and we'll play our game and we'll control the game and we'll dominate it. And particularly if we get a goal inside the first 15 to 20 minutes, then you fear for Everton. You really, really do. Then it's about showing that we're streetwise, um, finding that balance between going out and trying to kill off the game, but also not leaving the back door open. And um, and I think that's something that we've got better and better with in time. Um, yeah, there have been a few individual errors at the start of this season, and we need to cut those out because the better teams will punish you. Any team in the Premier League, in fact, is capable of punishing you. But yeah, um, I'm pretty confident and I'm looking forward uh, to joining you guys at what time's the game going to finish? If it finishes at 6.30, let's say 7, um, I'm probably going to be with you guys at about half past 7 uh, live on the YouTube channel reacting to the game. That will, of course, go out in podcast format, as does everything else. Um, and yeah, can't wait. Um, hopefully, we're talking about a victory and, and three more points on the board. Just a quick reminder as well, before I go, uh, for those of you that are members on the Another Slice platform, our members mailbag episode dropped earlier today. Uh, you can sign up by visiting the link in the description. That will give you access um, to uh, our membership content. If you use the code um, free episode, all in one word, if you enter that when it prompts you for a discount code, you'll be able to access that members mailbag episode for free. Uh, just the one episode, but it will give you a taster of what we do. And then you can decide whether or not you want to sign up and support the podcast. I'm going to leave you all to it. It's Friday night. I've got guests coming around for dinner. Uh, so I'm going to go sit down, um, have a nice chilled evening, have a bit of wine, all the rest of it. And I'll see you all soon. Until next time, guys, uh, have a great evening and up the Arsenal. Come on, you Gunners. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.